Welcome to Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church. Our mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media, New Jersey SEO marketing and WordPress company. All of their information is in our show notes. And if you need a brand new website built, or if you need to enhance Pam your already built website, or you want consultation the on first how family. to get more traffic to your no, website, TJB is the way to go. Adam and Find Eve. Your information in the show notes and contact Would her. you say contact that contact them? Um, when they today's started podcast family, is that kind of a part two message. One John's brother murdering the other Peter brother. Suffering. Would you call that dysfunction? Suffering. More suffering. Today. And every family since then. So without further delay, here's John. Agree or another, so it's right on time. All right, I want to go back to our study in First Peter. I was kind of uh, torn a little bit about whether to go on or not because there's so much information here in this very first chapter as he introduces us to this letter that he wrote. Now you all remember we did a little biography brief biography of Peter growing up in the Lord, beginning with his call by the Lord to discipleship, and all the way through Jesus' ministry, through his death, resurrection, etc., Peter became obviously the leader of this new movement that didn't even have a name. Did you know that? This new movement powerful movement, which we'll talk about here in a minute, a little more, was not known to the ancient world at all. In fact, did you know that the early, the earliest believers were referred to by the Romans as pagans or atheists because they didn't have a god. They didn't have gods that they built temples to and so on. What they had was the God represented in his son Jesus. And that faith in what he had done initiated this movement. And Peter was kind of the head of that. Um, the other 11 disciples followed suit. And then soon in the history came the Apostle Paul, who was himself a mass murderer under the name of God as he put believers into prison and death for their belief in Jesus and his resurrection. But God miraculously appeared to him. Jesus spoke to him personally and directly, and he became one of the greatest apostles to us Gentiles and non-Jews and so on. Now here he's writing a letter that is meant to encourage us now, Peter lived through some very hard times. Okay, we, we think our government is corrupt. and You've seen the Roman government at the time. He lived through, through some very difficult times of persecution, etc. And his entire letter is introduced by these verses talking about suffering. But he doesn't emphasize suffering. Okay, this is an important principle for us to remember, and I'll show you why here in a minute. 
he emphasizes joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's his emphasis. Now, he could have complained. He could have whined about all the times that he was put in jail or he was ignored, rejected. But that's not what he writes to encourage us. He focuses on joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And in this context, he's telling us where we get that joy. It's unspeakable and full of glory. You know where you get it? Right slap dab in the middle of your suffering. That's where it is. Now, a lot of people I've known throughout the years have suffered extreme losses, pain, all kinds of things could happen. So I want to give you kind of a summary of, of what we've learned out of 1 Peter chapter 1 in the first nine verses. I'm going to give you a little summary here that I wrote. Things to know about suffering. Number one, everyone suffers. No one escapes this world without problems and trials and suffering on a physical, personal, and or relational basis. Number two, suffering is not your fault. I know there's a lot of people that blame themselves when bad stuff happens to them or other people. In fact, it's common for people to say, what did I do to get this? As if they caused the suffering. Suffering is not your fault. Suffering comes from a living in a sin-cursed world that's falling apart and sin-cursed bodies that are falling apart. That's where suffering comes from. You say, well, I've done some dumb things and suffered the consequences for it. Yeah, I know. But it wasn't you that did it. It was your sin-cursed body. It was the power of sin in you. It was not the real person you are created in Christ Jesus, holy and without blame. Now, that's not an excuse. Okay, but like Paul said, he said, what I do, I don't understand because I want to do what's right, but I can't do it. I want to quit doing what's wrong and I do it anyhow. And he explains that it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me, which we call the flesh. So he was able to separate himself from that sinful flesh. Now, when your sinful flesh freaks, it's not you that did it, but guess who's going to get punished for it? Your flesh. And where are you? You're living in the same body with your flesh. So it's not an excuse at all. It's a point that we need to understand to get down to that joy unspeakable and full of glory. Number three, God does not make deals to help you avoid suffering. You ever make a deal with God? <clears throat> those deals, those kind of deals are <coughs> usually made in a foxhole okay? or under extreme threat. 
something like, okay, God, I'll be good. I, will, I promise I'll never do that again. All you need to do is protect me and my family from any kind of suffering, and I promise you, I'll go to church and pretend I like it. I'll sing in the choir. I'll do all kinds of religious good works. If you just don't let suffering happen to me, okay? God didn't make that deal. He allowed His only begotten Son to learn obedience through the things that He suffered. He's going to allow you to go through your suffering so He can train you. That's what the writer of Hebrews called chastening. He said, no chastening is pleasant for the time, but grievous. But afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, what he's saying is, you're going to be trained by your suffering. No deals. Number four, God will never, and I like this one, and that's really what Peter is focusing in on here, God will never allow you to suffer beyond your ability to endure it and learn from it. He always provides a way of escape for you. In other words, God is selective about the suffering He allows you to experience. Do you know that? He may allow me to experience one form of suffering, but not you. God is selective. He chooses what suffering He's going to use to train you and teach you who you really are and why you're really here. So it's a process that all of us have to go through. Number five, it's given unto you both to believe on Jesus, believe on His name, and to suffer for His sake. You see, in a sense, all suffering that you do in this world is for, for Jesus' sake. Think of it this way. When you believed on Jesus, and you were born of the Spirit, and you became this brand new person, God could have that moment taken you home and given you that brand new body He's got waiting for you and a brand new place to live in His house. He could have done that. But He didn't. Instead, He left you right here in this same sin-cursed world in the same sin-cursed bodies that are falling apart to do the work He's ordained for you to do. And that's going to involve suffering. You can't live in this world without suffering. Six, suffering breaks down the natural defenses of the flesh and allows the real person you are to grow and develop into who God made you to be. This is a little more technical here, so let's take just a moment to explain it. When you experience suffering, any kind of suffering, the first thing that goes out the window is the gospel, that you're okay. That goes out the window. Why are you sure you're not okay? Because of the suffering. Okay. 
But really, the suffering God allows for you to experience is designed and selected by Him to teach you who you really are and what you are capable of. And it's specially designated and designed just for you. Now, how he does that is when he puts you under pressure of suffering, that thing we call the flesh, what Paul referred to as the sin that dwells within him, that kept him, the new person he was, from doing what he wanted to do and not doing what he wanted to quit. That flesh has its own mind. It's called the carnal mind or natural mind. And in that mind, there are all kinds of false beliefs about what it's going to take to make you okay. We've all been raised up with them. We've all been conditioned by them. We've all been molded and shaped by those false assumptions and beliefs in the carnal mind. Now, when you experience suffering, all those assumptions, false assumptions and beliefs, they fall apart. They crumble. Because it doesn't work out like you thought it was going to work out. You see, what God does is break down our unbelief. Because all those false assumptions, all those lies that run through our natural minds, that's unbelief. And what God does is allow that suffering to break down your unbelief. And finally, you get to the point where you recognize that you need His help. That's why I like the 12 steps of AA so much. You know the first one? Admit that you are powerless. You know what that means? That means come to the conclusion and believe that you cannot save yourself. You can't do it. No matter what designs and plans you have to make yourself okay, those coping strategies that are natural under suffering, they fall apart. When you finally get down to that point where my life is unmanageable, it's at that point where you can come to believe that a power greater than you can restore you to sanity according to the second step of AA. Now, if you're being restored to sanity, where were you before? Insane, right? It's not just addicts and alcoholics are insane. There's a whole bunch of people in this world that are insane in that sense. They think that they can do the same thing over and over again and get a different result. They can't. They think they can save themselves by their own energy and strength. They can't. In fact, they need a Savior. So when you come to believe that a power greater than yourself, i.e. God, can actually restore you to a healthy life, 
you become willing to turn your will, all of your choices, and your life over to Him. Now, that all happens because of suffering. Did you know that? Yeah. It all happens because of the suffering that God allows us to experience. But remember, point four, God will never allow you to suffer beyond your ability to endure and learn from it. So whatever suffering is coming into your life is for your good, no matter how bad it may look. And finally, you will find God's gift of love right in the middle of your suffering. And what will you learn there? What Peter says, you will learn joy unspeakable and full of glory. You will learn that peaceable fruit of righteousness the author of Hebrews talks about. What does that mean for us practically? What it means is this. You got bad stuff happening, but you're not whining about it. You're not throwing a pity party and getting really frustrated when nobody comes. You're not down in mully grubs, wallowing in self-pity. That's what it means. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. It means that you're not doing that. It doesn't mean that all your circumstances changed and you won the lotto. No. But it means that joy unspeakable, that inward sense of joy and confidence will maintain your life in a healthy way. That joy unspeakable and full of glory is something that Peter presents as more precious through the trying of your faith than gold. And it leads to a life that honors God and rejoices in the glory of God with Christ Jesus. What does that mean? You participate in His glory. You participate in His praises in the middle of, during your suffering. So rather than avoid suffering, Peter just starts right out here with it in his, his letter because he's writing, as I've said to you before, to people who are enduring some pretty serious suffering. This is a general letter, bless you, who that he is writing to, to all of those people that he knew in Jerusalem who were scattered because of the persecution into the far regions of Turkey. And he's trying to encourage them. Likewise, we see that encouragement for ourselves as well. So today what I want to do is just briefly go over what I consider to be one of the most important aspects of your suffering, and that is the teaching that is done. But notice how Peter writes it here. Let me see if I can read it to you. He says that in verse 7 of chapter 1, he says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, 
might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, this just this doesn't mean that you got to wait till Jesus comes and gets you and you get to heaven to experience it. No, the appearing of Jesus Christ is where two or three are gathered together in His name. The appearing of Jesus Christ when He comes to you personally in the middle of your suffering and He gives you that joy unspeakable full of glory. But then he goes on to say, receiving the end of your faith, the completion of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which, verse 10, of what? The salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Now, at first glance, you might think, well, this didn't really have much to do with my suffering, but one of the biggest questions that arises whenever you experience any kind of suffering is why. That's a big, isn't it? Why does this have to happen? And we all want to know why it has to, has to happen. Well, so far, Peter has told us that it has to happen because it's not only given unto you to believe on his name, but also to suffer for his sake. Well, there's a lot more written in the scriptures we could talk about. But Peter, in order to explain this, and the glory of that joy unspeakable, the result of your suffering, goes back in the Old Testament scriptures. Now you all realize that in the first century, the only scriptures that were written down were Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament hadn't been written or completed yet. And so Peter goes back and he tells us, listen, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, they were predicting this. They were predicting that death of Christ and his resurrection leading to joy unspeakable and full of glory. They were predicting it back then. And who were they talking about? The folks that lived back then? No. They were talking about us. So I want to concentrate here this morning on a fundamental distinction between the church, all believers since Christ, and the Old Testament saints. There's one big fundamental difference that people don't know about and they don't even appreciate. 
And that fundamental difference is simply this. Although there were men and women that were sometimes filled with and moved by the Holy Spirit back there in the, in the Old Testament, that was a very rare occasion. Extremely rare. Most people didn't know anything about the Spirit of God back then. So the difference between them and New Testament saints, us, is this one great fact that we have to learn to appreciate. And that is, God has given you His Spirit living inside that new person you are. Now, it's hard for us to appreciate that, maybe. Maybe it's, I'm just talking to myself here. Because you're given the Spirit when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God gives you the Spirit. You're indwelled with the Spirit. As a matter of fact, it's the Spirit that actually caused you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit who gave birth to the new creation you are and the new person you are. So right from the start, the Spirit of God is working in you. You see, that wasn't known and experienced in the Old Testament. What they had to function on was the law, which was a tremendous revelation, increase in revelation as far as humanity was concerned. Now they had written down in black and white a list of things to do or not do to relate to God. That was the law. But to you is given the Spirit. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of His Son, Jesus, in your heart. How significant is that? Well, Jeremiah, one of the old prophets, predicted what we called and have studied the New Covenant, which didn't take effect until Jesus died on the cross. What's the big deal about this new covenant? Everything. It's the covenant of grace. See, that's what these guys were looking for. They were looking for the grace of God. As we just read here in verse 10, concerning our salvation, which salvation the prophets earnestly looked for and inquired for, searched for, diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. What is that grace? It's the new covenant, which is a contract God made with humanity, a contract of grace. You see, the previous contract was a contract of law, and the terms were simple. If you do what I tell you to do, I'll bless you. If you don't do what I tell you to do, I'll curse you. Just that simple. But Jeremiah threw this little twist and he said, God is going to make a new covenant because it's evident you can't do what he tells you to do. You've blown it. 
You see, all the Old Testament is a history of Israel. And the biggest part of that history is them trying to figure out what to do to get God to bless them. And they never were able to keep His commandments. Ever. And neither can you. So Jeremiah predicted this new covenant of grace. Now listen to the terms of this new covenant. Radically different. God says, I'm going to write my law on your hearts. I'm going to put it in your inward part. Now another way of viewing that is God said, I am going to make you behave. I am going to direct your life. I am going to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. The second part of the New Covenant is you're not going to have need that anybody teach you about God because God is going to be your God and you're going to be His people and there's going to be this wonderful, intimate relationship between you and Him. You don't have to worry. There's an intimate relationship between you and Him. And Paul was introduced to that as conversion. Did you know that? Yeah. Jesus knocked him off his horse and at noon and brilliant light shined and Paul said, recognized that this was God. He said, What's, what do you want me to do, Lord? Spoken like a true Jew under the old covenant, he was looking for what he was supposed to do. It was not what he's supposed to do, it's what he's supposed to believe which he came to later. But you remember what Jesus said to him during that time? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now Jesus was already ascended into heavens. And Paul wasn't technically persecuting Jesus. He was just persecuting those who believed on him. But Jesus identified himself so closely with his, those first believers, he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, Jesus feels every bit of your suffering, every bit of your trials, every bit of the problems that you encounter, he feels them. He knows all about it because of that intimate relationship. It would be like somebody trying to do something against my wife. I would feel that because of an intimate relationship we had. We're connected. Likewise, you are connected with Jesus. As a matter of fact, you're often referred to as the bride of Christ. The third and most amazing promise of the new covenant, he says, your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. I don't know about you all, but I don't forget it that easily. You do something against me, I may say I forgive you. And I may truly mean that. I forgive you. But I will never, ever, ever forget that you did it. Right? Well, how could God possibly forget what we did? in our unbelief. Only one way He could forget, and that was to make you 
a brand new person who never has sinned, is not sinning now, and never will sin. So He identifies you as a brand new person in Christ, holy and without blame. So He doesn't remember the sins in the flesh at all. Because that's not who you are. Now when that covenant was instituted, Peter was there. He was there the night before Jesus was crucified. He was there when Jesus took the cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for the remission of sins of many. This is the blood of the new covenant. Not the old covenant. The old covenant was the blood of bulls and goats. The new covenant. Yeah, I know the horn's hawking. Yeah, but forget that. We'll live with that. Everybody check your keys and make sure you didn't, didn't turn it on. The new covenant was instituted by Jesus on the night before He was crucified and was fulfilled the next day as He hung on the cross and He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be the righteousness of God in Him. You see, that new covenant was instituted by Jesus which radically changes our lives. So he's bringing back to mind here how great this salvation is that we receive. Our faith ends in the salvation of our souls. But that salvation is an eternal salvation. It means that you're a brand new person that never has sinned. Is not sinning now and never will sin by God's grace. He has made you a brand new person. Now that's what the prophets were trying to figure out. And the one thing that was missing was the application of the Spirit. Remember, Jesus promised His disciples, I'm not going to leave you abandoned here as orphans. No, no. I'm going to come to you through My Spirit whom the Father will send. Now, it was again Peter on the day of Pentecost when they were all in the upper room joined together. And just allow me to read this to you. I'm not... I can't do it justice just by telling you about it. I want to read this passage to you so you get the get the real feel for what had happened there on the day of Pentecost. Because it's a miraculous thing that God did for His disciples, Peter and the others, in order for them to fulfill their mission. Chapter 2 of Acts, verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. They were all gathered together. There's probably about 120 of them gathered together in the upper room. And suddenly they heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind. 
kind of like the sound of a hurricane or the sound of a tornado. They heard it. But not only that, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each one of them. Each one of those individuals received this sign. So there's an audio-visual display of the coming of the Spirit. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now Peter defines that in terms of the coming of the Spirit out of the Old Testament prophet Joel. And he goes on in his sermon to quote Joel who promised and prophesied that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. See, my point here is this. That your suffering is part of the fulfillment of the new covenant. Your suffering here on this earth is for the sake of that new covenant being declared to the whole world. And the power to endure that suffering and learn by that suffering is none other than the Spirit of God living inside that new person you are. Because of that, Peter's going to go on in this chapter to give us some instructions on how we ought to behave in light of the fact of the coming of the Spirit. We'll pick that up in a later study. But for today, what I want you to understand is Whatever suffering you endure, whatever suffering comes your way, you not only have the power through the Spirit to live through that suffering and endure it, but you also have the power of the Spirit to experience what Peter called that joy unspeakable and full of glory. Practically, what we need to do is when we suffer, when bad stuff happens to us, we need not to try to avoid it, to get away from it. We need to face it and look through it till we find that joy unspeakable and full of glory. God promised it'll be there. And when you do, when that suffering breaks down your natural facade of your natural identity, the real person God has made you to be will shine like a light in the darkness. That's the only reason God allows it. For your victory. So you'll never be a victim, ever. Because you are more than a conqueror through Him that loved us. Let's pray. Father God, as we come into Your presence right now, I thank You and I praise You for this precious promise of the new covenant. I thank You for the power that You give us through Your Spirit. I thank you, Father, for the wisdom and understanding that you give us in the midst of that suffering. And I ask you to continue to do that work for your honor and glory as we continue through our day today and the week ahead. We ask for your grace to be poured out abundantly upon us. For these things I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Appreciate you all being here. Stick around fellowship as long as you care to. Have a good week. God go with you, and we'll see you all next week.
Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes.